Well, hey there. Thanks so much for joining us on the Hope Fellowship Church podcast. If these messages have blessed your life, go ahead and subscribe by clicking the subscribe button inside the podcast app. And if your life has been impacted by this ministry, would you consider supporting it financially so that we can continue to love God, love people, and prove it? You can give by visiting hope615.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you are blessed through today's message. And before I jump into our sermon series on prayer, I wanted to talk about this for just a moment. Jared referenced. Uh, Some of you may have not been able to see the booklet yet on our Hope for the House campaign. It's a two-year giving campaign we're kicking off as we prepare for our future. So if you haven't received a booklet to both of the tables, which are in different places today, oh, wow. And then there's a a commitment card that we're going to ask you to pray about participating with us that we'll turn in in two weeks. Now, here's what I've learned. Anytime a church does something like this, there are questions. And so just within, since we had the big banquet, some questions have already come in, and I want to do my best to answer these questions for you. Uh, First question was this. I received a private message from a gentleman who um, said this, hey, Pastor Kent, I know that this is January of 2020, but would it be possible for me to, to have a designated gift going straight into the Hope for the House Fund before the end of the year? The answer to that is yes, you can absolutely do that. And so if you read the booklet, you realize if you were here that night, we talked about the two buckets. We'll first fill our monthly ministry budget, and when that bucket is full, we'll begin to fill the Hope for the House bucket. But if at any time God should lead you to make a specific gift straight into the Hope for the House bucket, yes, you can do that. And yes, you can do that before the end of the year. No problem. Some of you don't know that several years ago, we started what we call the future fund budget, preparing for what this journey is all about. There's already been giving towards that over the past several years. Now, the next question, because we're all at different places in this journey, the question could be this, hey, pastor, Like I, you might put yourself in a category where you tithe regularly. And the question is, what does that mean? How do I fill this out? Do I just fill out this card and say, okay, based on what I give, my 10% tithe, I estimate that over two years, I'll give this much. Yes, you could do that. But what we're really asking you to pray through in this 21 days of prayer is to take one or two steps up from what you're currently giving. So for example, here I'm on the ground floor, right? And so if you're here at Hope Fellowship Church, we're glad you're here, but maybe you've never, ever given towards the mission and the ministry of our church. So if you've never done that, for you, you guess what you would do? You, you would get up here and, well, I'm not going to do this. I did this several years ago, and I got all the way up here, and it about gave some people a heart attack, okay? No. Um, so for you, if you've never really made a contribution to our ministry, you would, you would become a first-time giver. But if God led you to take two steps up, you would move into this category of an occasional giver. Maybe you come to church and you're like, man, I don't know. You know, I give maybe once every other month or so, depending on how the checking account looks. And, uh, you know, so if you're, if you're right here as an occasional giver, we're asking you to pray about moving up one to two steps. Uh, a percentage giver, well, what, what does that mean? It, many of you tithe. Uh, you give 10% of your income towards God's work in this ministry. Some of you, if you really would say, well, I do give regularly, but I'm not quite at 10%. Maybe you're giving 3 4 5%. I think the national average in churches in the United States today, the average family gives about 3%. So you see why I just said percentage instead of tithe. 
Some of you, like this is where Sean and I are. We absolutely tithe to Hope Fellowship Church to this ministry. But what we're doing, we're praying as a husband and wife, how, how, do, we, how do we take a step up? Now, the good Lord has not allowed me to go into the legacy category yet. Let me tell you what that is. Because most of us in this room, we can't really do that. This is the kind of giver that, that understands their giving towards the future in a way that is pretty rare. God has blessed this individual or this couple with some financial resources far beyond what's pretty normal to families today. But, but this would be a goal. Man, if God allows you and leads you and you have that opportunity to become a, le- a legacy giver. But for a minute, what I believe is going to happen for our church, I think many of us, my prayer is, will be able to move into this sacrificial level of giving. Well, yes, I, I've given a tithe in the past, but as God allows me, as God provides him through this journey, we are going to sacrifice to give above and beyond. And what that means, like for me and my wife, we got to sit down with the budget and look at it hard and start deciding perhaps there's some things we, we're going to remove for the next two years as we become more intentional about this. So the giving ladder, Shelby, are you in the room? Where are you at? Shelby told me about this thing years ago. I love it. I've, this is a little bit different because there are now multiple models of a giving ladder. But I think any kind of a tool like this just helps us as a church kind of see what we're talking about. So, okay, I didn't climb the ladder, I didn't fall, and no one was nervous about me falling today on that, right? Okay, just making sure. We're talking about prayer. And uh, before I jump in to talk about prayer, I, I started thinking about a journey that my son Jared and his wife Emily have been on for how long, Jared? How many months? Eight months. Emily's done it about a year. Okay, okay. So, see, I thought it was just like five or six months, but even longer. Jared and Emily started this uh, workout pro- program called CrossFit. How many of you have heard of CrossFit? Just raise your hand with me. Wow. Okay. I, I had only heard of it. I had no idea what it really was all about. Until Jared started with his wife, and there's a backstory there, she actually told him if he would, just for one year, she would allow him to buy a motorcycle. Okay, that's just there. So I'm just saying. And now he's all about it. So they begin to do this, and they're, they're, you know, on a good week, they work out four times, maybe five times a week at their CrossFit gym. I've learned a lot about it because Jared comes in the next morning, oh, I can't walk. You know, I, I hear all the stories of what they did, and here was the day before. I, I understand. And in CrossFit, I learned about this guy named Rich Froning. Have any of you heard of Rich Froning? Raise your hand. I knew not many of you. We got a picture of this guy. I want you to look up here at the screen. Bra. Look, that is Rich Froning. Now, here's the deal. This guy, he's basically like the CrossFit king. There, there is a documentary about his life on Netflix. Jared made me watch it, okay? <laughs> And so there was this big CrossFit competition in Smyrna a couple of months ago. And of course, you know, I had to go watch my kids. It's like, kind of like, you know, when you go to watch your kid play soccer. Now I'm watching my kid do CrossFit, okay? Same kind of a deal. Same thing, same thing. Same thing. And bro, he was there with his team. Now, you know, all the, all the local people are rolling up in their minivans. And he comes in this, deck, this RV, 
you know, and, and it, it's like he rolls in style. And his team, they're just crazy good. They're, they're intense. And so when you see, first of all, I felt very out of place at the competition. I'm like, I don't think I belong here based on looking at these people. But that's another story. When you see someone that physically fit, for me anyway, when, you, when I see someone that physically fit and that strong, for just a split second, I was thinking to myself, man, Man, if, if I could only look like that, if, if I could only be like that dude, because his strength and his physical fitness is just, it is insane what this guy has done. And so think about that. I, I'm, I'm not here today to preach a sermon on CrossFit, okay? Let me just tell you this. You're safe. But today, I'm talking about prayer. And I would ask this question, I wonder how many of you today in the gym, have you ever met someone that's been completely overwhelmed by their faith, by their amazing prayer life? I've met people like that. I'm like, man, that person walks with God. That person spends a lot of time in prayer. Like Rich Froning did not get like that by just kind of hanging out and eating cupcakes, Five, six days a week, he works out eight hours a day to get in the shape he's in, to be able to compete at the level he competes at nationally. And so I want you to think about this. I want you to think about your prayer life, and I want you to think about some incredible stories from the Old Testament related to praying that I want to talk to you about today. I want you to look with me today, prayer warrior Elijah. Now, let me give you a quick background on this guy's life. Elijah's life, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's ama- even the baby's excited about Elijah. <laughs> True story. Scott, I love you, and we love your baby. You do not have to leave. It's okay. It's okay. I love you, man. <laughs> Elijah, here's what the Bible says, 1 Kings, some of his journey. Ravens, ugly, dirty birds. Dirty birds, I just said that in church. Ugly, dirty birds. The Bible says that this man survived. He, he ate because every day ravens, you know, they, the, here now we need the baby cry. Ravens, Scott, can you make the baby cry? No, that's okay. Ravens brought him food to survive. I'm like, what? What? Ravens brought him food. In his life, God used a widow. This little lady, she was a widow to provide daily bread for him. Elijah, in the Bible we read about him winning this showdown against the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. He calls down fire from heaven in his prayer. Come on. And and not long after that, he struck down 450 false prophets. Plus, all of you CrossFit people will love this. Elisha was evidently an athlete. In 1 Kings, it says that he ran from Mount Carmel down to Jezreel. That is about 17 miles. The Bible says he ran, and it says that he outran 
chariots, and horses. What? What? Okay. You marathon people, get that. Think about that. It's right there. 1 Kings chapter 18. It's all there. So look at other people in the Bible. This guy, is, he's on a whole other level. Elijah, uh, think about this. Because he appeared at the transfiguration of Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 17, Elijah is there with Moses and Jesus, the three of them. Like, that's good company. That's quite the crew to be hanging out with. I want you to see what I'm talking about. Just like Moses, Elijah went eastward for a season after he had had this confrontation. Like Moses, he learned to live on, on God's abundant provision of bread and meat and water. But Elijah was also like the New Testament man, John the Baptist. He was associated with him in the New Testament quite often. So here's what I'm going to say. Elijah, he's really like this mega prophet. He's just not a prophet. He's a mega prophet whose ministry helped to pave the way for our Messiah. Old Testament prophet, mega prophet, paving the way for Jesus Christ. So think about his life. You know, I've just given you some teasers. We'll look at it more in just a second. But when I look at Elijah's life, it's to say, man, I am not like that guy. I am not much like that guy at all. He's me. It's just like Rich Froning. I looked at Rich Froning that day in Smyrna at the CrossFit competition. I'm like, that guy is not like me. You know, hello, look at me. Look at him. We're different. But, this is the great thing, but. But in the New Testament, James, don't miss this, makes this extraordinary statement when he says, Elijah was a man just like us. Gets my attention. Tell me more. Let's talk about that. Elijah was a man just like us. And so I'm thinking like, for real? He was a man just like us. He was a man like, like me and like you. And James, he focused on this fact that every single believer in the body we can have an effective prayer life like Elijah. Why do I say that? Because James said it. Look at the screen. James chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. And the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. There it is. Not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. That's a prayer. Wow. And so this language we see in the New Testament book of James, it's the same kind of language that played out when Paul and Barnabas, there are all these people like, Paul, Barnabas, we love you. You're the best. I want to worship you. Look what they said in Acts chapter 14. Barnabas and Paul said, please stop this right now. They said, we too, we're only humans like you are. So it's the same thing. You see it in the New Testament. You see it in the Old Testament. Why am I talking about this? All of this is really, really good news. If you are ready for your prayer life to become more real and more effective and more powerful, because according to scripture, Elijah is like us, and we have this opportunity to, to become more like him. Now, I want you to think about this, some more background. Elijah, he grew up 
like every one of us in this room, let's be real, let's be honest, a pretty normal person. He was, he was a normal guy. He was not born into greatness. And so he lived this life. He came out of a very normal life, yet God had this plan to use him to confront sin around him, the people around him, and to stand up faithfully as God's servant. Listen to this. He lived in a day where people called evil good and good evil. Same things playing out. In Elijah's day, people under King Ahab's reign, kind of their view on religion, they wanted a little bit of everything. You know, uh, how, about, how about a little bit of goddess worship? And then after I'm done with that, how about a little bit of Baal worship? Maybe a little Yahweh worship. And then if we could just like throw in some cult-like prostitution, that would be great and we'll feel good about it. That's kind of what was playing out in his culture. Exclusive worship of God, it was absent. It was not happening. And I would simply say to you, isn't it interesting? Today, here we are, 2019. What do we do? Most people in our culture today, yeah, I'll take a little bit of God. That's okay. But then don't tell me to get rid of my horse because I like to read that. Give me a little bit of my horoscope. Give me a little bit of pop psychology about. And you know, I do like a good conspiracy theory every now and then. Amen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't forget, you got to let me, you got to let me uh, like the aliens, like I believe in them. It's, it's all the stuff. It's just all together. And if you look at what's happening in culture today, we're, we're not all that different. What James described in the New Testament is found in 1 Kings, the Old Testament, chapters 7, 17, and 18. And so I, I want to look at two or three examples of exactly what I'm talking about with his prayer life and what God might say to us as a church today. Appearing out of nowhere, Elijah comes on the scene, chapter 17. He's this normal man. He's empowered by God. And look at 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. We'll start there. Elijah goes up to the king. Here's what he says. Hey, king, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither two years except... At my word. That's a pretty bold thing for a normal guy to say when he gets into the presence of the king. This is the first account of what we see about Elisha. And here's God using this man to proclaim the message through Elisha that a drought is going to come, a drought because of the sinful idolatry of all the people. Now, when you look at, you know, James said, because of the prayers, there will be no rain. When you look at 1 Kings chapter 17, you can't find Elijah actually praying for a drought, but you do find Elijah praying for the drought to end. And so you can read commentaries, you can study this. Most theologians would say, and this is what I believe. I believe that Elijah 
had been with God in the prayer closet before he ever approached the king in the palace. Man, there's, you could do a whole sermon right there. He spent time alone with God in the prayer closet before he ever approached the king living in the palace. Why? Because Elijah knew the real king. He didn't fear standing before a mere mortal king. So what do I learn from that? What do we take from that? I would say here's a really important lesson. Elijah, right there in in chapter 17, verse 1, teaches us to pray, watch, to pray according to God's word. He teaches us to pray according to God's word. He's praying that there's a There's no rain, a drought. Yes, I'm about to show you. Elijah was simply claiming the promise of God's holy word. Why a drought? Because it comes directly from scripture. Look at the book of Deuteronomy. We'll put it on the screen. Deuteronomy chapter 11, beginning in verse 16. To God's people, and be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away And worship other gods and bow down to them. Okay, this is what's happening. They're doing idol worship. Be careful, because if you do this, Scripture says in Deuteronomy, then the Lord's anger will burn against you. And he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land that the Lord is giving you. Y'all. All I'm saying is Elijah knew the Bible. He knew the punishment for idolatry was famine, so he could pray for a famine and proclaim its certainty because God said this to be true. I look at this and say, well, Elijah's just praying to God to perform some kind of a trick. No, he, he was simply boldly praying God's holy word. That's just one example. You move forward. Let me show you another example of the prophet Elijah and prayer life. We see him praying to ask God to raise a little boy from the dead. Elijah had been staying in the home of this widow I told you about. She was providing bread for him. And so pick it up with me in 1 Kings 17, 17. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. So her son, he grew worse and worse, and he finally stopped breathing. Look what she says, this mother to Elijah. What do you have against me? What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Aisha replied. And so he took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Here's the prayer. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? And so the Bible says, then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and he cried out to the Lord. Lord, boy's life returned to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry. And the boy's life returned to him and he lived. 
And Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house, and he gave him to his mother and said, look, your son's alive. Listen, if you're looking for some hope in your prayer life, if you're looking for some examples of of how to pray some bold prayers, begin to read 1 Kings 17 and 18. And then in chapter 18, perhaps the most infamous story of of the bold prayers of Elijah, there's this Ahab who wants the brother dead. And he finally catches up with Elijah face to face. Pick it up with me, chapter 18, verse 17. And so when the king saw Elisha, he said to him, what a, great, what a great name to be called. Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Anybody come up to you lately and say, hey, is that you, you troubler of Smyrna? Come on. Laverne, Tennessee, wherever. Is that you? Look at his response. I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you, yeah, he's talking to the king, but you, you and your father's family have, you have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Here's the plan. Elisha says, now summon the people from all over Israel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people and he said, look at this, people, all the people are here. How long will you waver between two opinions? How long? Another lesson, another question we ask as a people. How long do we waffle among living a self-centered life versus a God-centered life? How long will you waver? If the Lord God follow him, but if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said, nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. So he says, get two bulls for us. Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and then let them cut it to pieces and put it on the wood, but don't set it on fire. And he says, I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but do not set it on fire. Then he says to them, you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So then all the people said, hey, sounds like a good plan to me. What you say is good. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there's so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not like given them. And they prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal. Look at this. From morning, sun up, probably about 6 a.m. until noon. Baal, they cried out, answer us. They shouted. They've shouted for six hours now. But there was no response. No one answered. They danced around the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. You're going to get up in the grill now. Mm-hmm. This is where it gets... You talk about the boldness of this brother. He's one dude. 450 people dancing around trying to get this thing on fire. 
And Elijah began to taunt them. Why don't you shout a little bit louder? See if that works for you. Surely he's a God. Perhaps he's in deep thought. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and you need to shout a little louder to awaken him. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears because that was their custom. Really? Sign me up for that church. <laughs> no, no, we're trying hard. And they did that until blood flowed. So midday passes and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for their evening sacrifice. Do you get this picture? These people have been screaming and dancing and cutting themselves, trying to stir up something to happen for close to 12 hours. But there was no response. No one answered. Look at that. No one even paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, bring it in, bring it in. You got your coach does. Come on, guys. Bring it in. He said, come here to me. So they came. And look what he did. He began to repair the altar in a way that would honor the Lord God. It had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, very symbolic, one for each of the tribes, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. What is he doing? He's going back to the promises of God's word again. And with the stones, he built an altar, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seas of seed. And you're like, what does that mean? I don't know. Is that important that I know how big the trench was? <sighs> so stressful. There's all kinds of speculation. Most people believe a sea would be, be something that would hold about 144 eggs. Why did they decide to define it that way? I don't know. That's 12 dozen eggs, okay? But not just one of those, but, but two. 288 eggs. That's how big the trench was. So then he arranged the wood. He cut the bull, the pieces. He laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, that's not enough. I want you now to fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. So now, you know, this is like every camper's nightmare. <sighs> oh, but once wasn't enough. You mean four jugs of water is not enough to pour on this to make a hard delight? No, we're going to do that again. Oh, but wait, I want you to do that at the time. So we're now up to 12 buckets of water that have been poured on the altar. The water ran down around the altar. It even filled this trench, so the trench big enough to hold 288 eggs. At the time of the sacrifice... Look at this. The prophet Elijah stepped forward, and once again, he prayed a pretty bold prayer. Lord, one, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today, our God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things, Lord, at your command. So answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back to you again. 
I hope you stepped back at that point. Because verse 38 says that then the fire of the Lord fell and it burned up the sacrifice. Not only the sacrifice of the bull, but it burned up the wood. It burned up, the Bible says, the stones. It is a hot fire when stones burn, friends. Are you with me? Burned up the soil. And all that extra water in the trough just licked it right up. <laughs> it's gone. And when all the people saw this, what did they do? They fell prostrate. It means you get down. You're, you're laying out on your stomach, face on, on the ground. And they cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord. He, y'all, good grief to have that kind of prayer life. Yes, Elijah's like Moses. Yes, he's like John the Baptist. But, but I want to take you somewhere that maybe you've not thought about. He's like Jesus. Jesus, think about this with me. Jesus Christ knew what it was like to live on every single word that proceeded out of the mouth of his heavenly father. Think about it. Jesus Christ was called out of this very simple, normal life to do what? To, to confront unbelief. But Jesus also cared for widows, the dead. It was Jesus whose prayers were very effectual, and it was even Jesus who, who fasted and prayed for 40 days and for 40 nights. The Bible says that there were some people, when they looked at the life of Elijah, they actually thought Jesus was Elijah. And you can see why. He was like this, this miracle-working prophet. But here's what I want you to hear today. Jesus was even more than Elijah. Jesus, unlike Elijah, never sinned. Jesus came. God sent his son Jesus. He lived. He died. He finished the course. He took the judgment that we deserved upon himself. And instead of pouring it out onto us, he took it on himself. He was then raised from the dead. And, and here, this is so key. We're talking about prayer. Don't miss this. Jesus is now on the throne interceding on your behalf. I think sometimes we, we hear the story of the gospel. Death, it's now party in heaven. Man, he's just kicked back up there on the throne, you know, relaxing. No. Christ on the throne now is interceding, praying on your behalf. Do I want to pray like Elijah? Yes. But even if I don't, because I don't. The good news is what saves you and what saves me is Jesus' work. And it is his work that sustains us because Jesus is interceding in prayer for each of us who know him as Savior and Lord. Listen to me. Satan may be accusing you right now, 
but Jesus is interceding for you. What do you listen to? And knowing that, knowing what was accomplished on the cross has paid all of your sin debt in full, knowing that, when I hear that, listen, I am reminded that as Jesus intercedes for me in prayer, y'all, game changer, it totally changes my perspective on prayer. Why? Because I'm not in this alone. It is not just me crying out to God, hoping he might hear me. No. He intercedes for me all the time, all the time. You know, it's been a crazy week for our family. You know, it's like, as a pastor, do you put on Facebook that you're having some hard times? Well, you know, how do you deal with that? No, it's been a crazy week. You know, Jared Emily, CrossFit king and queen of Smyrna. Emily was diagnosed with salmonella poisoning last week. Like, well, that's great. That's just great. Sick. She's sick. And so, you know, then it becomes, hey, can you all help with the grandkids? Yes, yes, of course we can. And so that's all good. We feel like we're getting her well. Judah's one-year-old birthday party had to be postponed because his mom is sick with salmonella. Well, that's kind of a bummer. You're like, no big deal. Come on. So we're working through that. And then the doctor calls my wife Friday night like, uh, are you in a place where you can come to the hospital? You know, she's been tired. She has rheumatoid arthritis, all this stuff. Her blood levels keep declining. And the doc calls Friday night and says, you got to come to the hospital now or you got to come Saturday morning. You need a blood transfusion. I'm like, what? So she got that yesterday. And uh, she's, she's still at the hospital this morning. You're like, why are you not there? Fair question. I don't know. Okay, time out. True confessions. Jared knows where I'm going. Emily was at the ER Wednesday for about eight hours. They're trying to figure out what to do, give her IVs. I'm like, bro, I know it's Wednesday night. You got this big, you know, youth night. Who cares? Just don't do it. Get to the hospital with your wife. Really, God, what a sense of humor you have, okay? So anyway, here I am. Mo Molly's, you know, God's at work. Uh, I stayed till late last night. Molly's with her. I'm telling you entirely too much information, and I don't know why, but I'm going to keep rolling with this. So, you know, they're doing all kinds of tests today. They made her drink the stuff. If you've ever had a colonoscopy, it's a beautiful thing. So um, she finished that. She's... You know, I talked to her about an hour and a half ago. Praise the Lord. She was, she's getting a little bit of rest. That's going to start sometime around noon today. As soon as church is over, I'm going back. But just, and so where am I going with all this? You know where I'm going. That's just what's happening in, in my little family. That's life. Many of you in this room, you have the same kind of stuff. Some is less extreme. If it seems to be pretty good now for you, just wait a while because it won't always be good. You know that. Amen. <laughs> there are trials. There are trials. They're real. But, but here's what I can't get away from. And you may feel like, well, can't you're the preacher. You got a lot of people praying for you. What a blessing that is. I don't take that for granted. But even... If I had no one, 
Even if my wife had no one, no family, I look at the truth of God's word that his son, Jesus Christ, intercedes on our behalf. How can I take prayer for granted? How can I act like it's not important? How can I not understand that and reject this invitation to commune with my heavenly father? Oh, my goodness. And that's what the Lord reminded me of sitting in a hospital room. Bored, waiting. The remote on the bed thing doesn't even work right. Oh, what am I going to do? I don't have 3,000 TV channels to choose from. And God just kind of sits down and is like, bro, I want you to see a few things here. That's what he does. I want us to be a people of prayer. I want to be the kind of prayer warrior. And so if you want to join in this journey, just jump in. It's kind of like the generosity ladder. Don't think you're going to go from the ground floor to the top step overnight, but man, it's just consistency. And then I got to tell you this, we're, we're transitioning from talking about prayer to next Sunday talking about fasting. And I'm just, and there are a few of you who medically will not be able to do this, but I'm just going to put it out there. There have been a lot of people talking about fasting lately saying, well, just, you could fast from social media. You know, you could fast from chocolate. You could do these things, and if that's what God leads you to, so be it. But I think we should do it according to what the Bible says. And the Bible says that we fast from food. And you think about it, food is something we have to have to to live, to survive, to sustain ourselves. Therefore, when I don't partake of food, something happens within me that I'm, I'm craving. Am I craving the Lord? Am I seeking him out those times? I'm just telling you right now, you got to prepare. Think about this as we move into next week. Because I'm not going to tell you to fast from social media. You can survive without social media and not even think twice. So that's where we're going. As we as a church seek to really honor the Lord and seek him out in this very important season of our church's life. Bow with, bow with me this morning in prayer as we think about what God has missed too. Thanks, God, for today. God, I think it's uh, pretty awesome how time after time you, uh, for me anyway, you, you continue to get my attention in the most unique of ways. And so, Lord, to know of your faithfulness, and your love and your power, your provision. God, to know that on the throne, your son, Jesus Christ, God is always, always, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, interceding if it's overwhelming. And so, Lord, uh, before we just leave this place 
my, my prayer very specifically right now are for the, the select group of people in this room who, for whatever reason, God, they've, they have had this feeling, this belief that they had to fix everything in their life before they approached you. That's not true. And so, God, I pray that they would open their hands and release that and let go of it. And know that the primary thing, even now that Jesus is interceding, God, on their behalf about, is that those would surrender their life to you, to be their Savior, to be their Lord, to be the one who guides them, who sustains them, who shows them a hope, God, who brings them out of the darkness into the light. Show that now, God. Thank you so much. God, forgive us for overlooking the significance of what you want us to see about prayer. And God, I don't want a Monday morning sermon, but I want it to stick. I want us to take it away. I want us to become a praying church. God, I can't do that. I can't preach a good enough sermon to make that happen for our church, much less in my own life. Lord, only you can do that. Draw us to, to your, yourself. Change us. Remind us, God, as you desire, whatever you need to show us, as you've done today, the revelation of your word. And let us be obedient. God, thanks for uh, this time to refocus these past couple of weeks on prayer. And Lord, prepare us. I, I thank, Lord, what you desire to do through us together fasting. We take a look at that next week. will just be an incredible, incredible thing for those of us, God, who choose to take that journey. And, and for many, it will be the very first time that's ever happened. So God, prepare us for what you want to do in our lives as we look to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, thanks again for listening to the Hope Fellowship Church podcast. If you're interested in becoming more connected at Hope Fellowship Church, please visit hope615.com slash get connected.